Hello, Detroit and the world. Welcome to a special episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the Audio Wave Network Studios on the Lower East Side here in the city, powered by the East Side Community Network and sponsored by none other than the Ford Foundation. We're now a content partner to BridgeDetroit.com. I'm Orlando Bailey. I'm Donna Gibbons-Davidson. Thank you so much for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people on the east side of Detroit. We want you to like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on all platforms. We drop a new episode every week, so be sure to turn on those notifications. On June 26th, Detroit experienced its first 500-year flood since 2014, and the rain has not stopped nor has spot flooding on some blocks. Although these two floods are the largest, flooding and sewer backups are all too common occurrence in some neighborhoods where residents fear the rain. This flooding has been attributed to higher intensity rainfall, aging and damaged infrastructure, failures at pumping stations, including electrical outages and low manpower and topographical features, including floodplains, creeks and impervious surfaces. As experts debate the cause and remedies, the consequences to tens of thousands of residents across Detroit are clear. Standing water in basements, leaving behind a residue of mold and other contaminants, loss of personal property, broken appliances, respiratory health impacts, trauma, fear, anger, and hopelessness. Even FEMA has come to Detroit to evaluate the damage. DWSD is providing guidance and direct assistance to the most vulnerable residents, and we all hopefully await declaration of an emergency. Nonprofit organizations on the Lower East Side, like East Side Community Network, Genesis Hope, CDC, MAC Development, are all working to fill in the gaps and provide more immediate support to members of our community. Today, we are joined by Tiffany Jones, Public Affairs Director from the Detroit Water and Sewage Department, DWSD, and Eastside Community Network's own Savannah Brewer, who serves as the Director of Community Organizing and Planning. Because these busy ladies have all been working round the clock to address resident needs and their time is limited, we're going right into our topic today, but we'll list a few articles from local and national press on our Facebook page and in the links to this podcast. Tiffany, we wanna come to you first. Can you tell us what happened um, in that historic rainfall that we got about three weeks ago? Sure, thank you for having me. Um, It's a pleasure to be with you this evening. um, First, let me say as public affairs director, that is um, one of my main goals is to get the needed information and material out to the customers and the residents of the city of Detroit. And we cannot do that without partners like yourself. So we just wanna first say thank you for the invitation. So on June 26, as many of you all know, we experienced a historical rainfall. We got up to 60, I'm sorry, six inches of rain. That is the most rainfall we've noted in 80 years. We got two months of rain in 24 hours. The bulk of that being in only five hours. Many of you know that the city of Detroit has combined sewer systems. And what that means is that the same sewer pipe is the same pipe that stormwater goes into. On a given normal rainfall, those sewers are able to manage three inches of rain. As I mentioned, we got up to six. So there was no way for the system to accommodate that. And the water had to go somewhere. So unfortunately, It went to the streets and in basements. So that's where we were on June 26 um, with the rainfall, the historic rainfall in the city of Detroit. Um, DWSD, we opened up our call center that Saturday and worked all throughout the weekend. Um, Our call number, which is still 313-267-8000, we wanted people to report basement floodings. And I tell you now, as of today, if you still have standing water in your basement, please call us. It is very important that you call and notify us that you still have water, standing water in your basement. Um, At this point, it is a a safety and health concern. So we need to know. Um, We do have our call center. They're open later. um, And we have 
contracted Rock Financial to help us with our call center. I know residents have stated that they've experienced um, some long wait lines, and I apologize for that, but we are adding representatives on on a daily basis, and we hope that we can handle the capacity. But I encourage everyone to keep calling and putting in their request at 313-267-8000. And for those that do not want to call, we also can take your claim online and you can reach the the online form at www.detroitmi.gov and right on the home page you can see a link that talks about the historic flood of Detroit. Tiffany, well, I have a question. Um, so, Orlando and I may have the same question um, but I'm going to ask it. Tiffany can you explain to us what happens when people call um, I've heard that the assistance is going to be targeted to the most vulnerable populations in terms of cleanup. Um, is there, is the city planning on filling some claims itself or has the city decided that it's not responsible unless there is um, evidence of a sewage backup caused by city equipment or infrastructure? Yes, those are a whole lot of questions and I wanna answer each one. Let me first start, I believe with your first one. When customers call or if they go online, they will have a series of questions. Those questions are basic information, name, you know, phone number, address. They will also be asked if they are a senior citizen, if they are disabled and if they, are, um, if they have tax um, exemption. If they qualify, if they answer yes, then they do qualify for some of our services. One of which is being um, the service to get your home cleaned and sanitized. In order to qualify for that service, you have to be HP TAP um, approved. And that's tax exemption, your property tax exemption. You have to already be approved for that service. You have to be a senior citizen or disabled or have children 10 or under in the household. So Tiffany, that Tiffany, is- Tiffany, sorry to interrupt you. I just want to- No problem, sure. no I just problem. Want to make sure that is clear to our listeners that uh, you can receive assistance directly from the city if you already have a primary residential tax exemption and or if you are 65 years or older with children, right? It does, it's, you don't have to be 65 or older with a tax exemption, right? The first requirement is the tax exemption. If you have that, then you have to either be a senior citizen, disabled, or have children in the home under the age of 10. So that you, you can be tax qualified based on tax exemption and not qualify based on your age or physical ability or- That is correct, As, that is correct. At this point, at this point, um, it is, they made the requirements based on the resources that we currently have. So as you all know, things change on a daily basis. This was just announced by the mayor on Thursday. So things can change, but at this point, those are the requirements. And now, so if you don't- you get, The assistance you can get is cleanup of your home and removal of items or is there additional assistance? So, correct. So if you don't meet that qualification, but you are still a senior citizen dis or disabled, you can ask for assistance if you need help um, removing the debris from your home. And you can also call the number and request assistance. We are working with city departments um, and the Department of Neighborhoods to assist with that effort. Tiffany, I know we only have you for a few minutes and Savannah, we promised to get to you, but while we have Tiffany, <laughs> can you talk a little bit about uh, if there is any recourse or help for landlords? Because I think oftentimes there is an assumption that landlords have a whole lot of capital, but we have a lot of mom and pop landlords who are probably also devastated uh, by this recent event. Is the city doing anything uh, to help them or what is the city requiring of landlords? Uh, in this moment? Yes, good point. Um, at this point, landlords are required to clean um, their tenants' home and make it um, safe 
and clean. And at this point, there is no additional assistance for the landlords at this time. And if they do not comply by Tuesday, July 20th, BC will be ticketing the landlords $250 per day. Say that one more time for our listeners. I I have a question about that, though. I mean, I think it's good that people are going to be protected. And certainly, um, to the extent landlords have the resources, right now, we have an eviction moratorium, which has recently expired. Is that true? It's, it's going to. It's, or it's going to expire. It's going to at the end of July, the CDC moratorium. So you have people who own homes who have not been collecting rent and who are expected to do things. And if they own a couple of properties and they themselves are income limited, like a lot of landlords in Detroit are, we have more mom pop landlords than any place in the nation, really. Um, most of the landlords in Detroit are not big companies, but individuals. And so um, without sounding too friendly or concerned about landlords, some of which are slumlords, but some of them are really hardworking people who are trying to figure all of this out through a pandemic. Is there any concern that we may lose actual rental housing that people may just walk away and say, you know what? being a landlord is too expensive. I'm not making any money off of this. Um, And do we think, have we considered the long-term impacts of policies that are um, like that? That is a great question. And I'm sure that they have thought about that concern, Um, but in the terms of just making priorities, that is one group that they have not provided assistance to at this time. Yeah. I think it would be good to have a fund and to consider the city having a fund to make sure that there's an incentive for landlords because you have a stick, but there's I don't see any carrots around here. And it seems like we may want to create some type of incentive and or support for landlords who express that they are in a financial emergency if the goal is protecting the, um, the housing itself. And that Absolutely. Landlord. Yeah. Tiffany, can you reiterate that that deadline for cleanup for landlords all throughout the city? Sure. Okay. Yep. Um, Landlords are required, and I'm taking this directly from our um, website. Landlords are required to remove debris to the curb, clean and sanitize the flood damaged area to make sure that the hot water heater and the furnace is working starting July 20th, which is a Tuesday. Um, Inspections will begin and ticketing um, with $250 per day fined to the landlords who do not respond. Um, If they get a, if we get a presidential disaster declaration, the landlords may be eligible for reimbursement. And um, I want to get back to the FEMA question, but I did want to just, again, emphasize that um, the landlords can um, request for a reimbursement for the cleanup, and then the tenants can request if they, you know, lost anything within the home um, under the FEMA if we get the presidential declaration. Will that include like water heaters or washers, um, and, washers and dryers, or will that be considered a landlord responsibility and the tenants will receive help for their personal possessions? That I'm not um, positive on, so I don't want to speak or speak out of turn. I'm not sure if it's part of the um, property, then I would assume that it would fall under the landlord and any personal items that would fall under the tenant. But again, I am not, um, you know, I'm not for sure on those, those topics under landlord and tenant issues. Yeah, I, I appreciate your candor there. Can you uh, walk our listeners through the process uh, that FEMA is undergoing right now? Um, as so, yes, I did want to answer that. So, um, as you know, as you mentioned in your opening, FEMA was on site. Um, they are doing research and taking back all the, the needed data. We have not heard anything about the declaration, but we're still hopeful. Um, we are taking DWSD claims. When FEMA, if and when they declare, we are hoping that they would use our information, but it is not clear. So residents may very well have to fill out a separate FEMA form for reimbursement. Um, Under DWSD claims, um, 
as you mentioned before, it is very, um, there's a series of things that the resident has to prove in order to get approved a claim on DWSD. So at the city council this at the city council meeting this morning our general council did want to set expectations because of the historical rain event um, our system did not have a, a defect it was it worked as it should it was just over capacity so there is a high chance that DWSD claims more than likely will be denied. However, every claim will be investigated. So I encourage everyone to submit a claim. So currently we have about 23,000 claims. So it is a process. And I also wanna reiterate that too. It is a process because every claim will be investigated and reviewed. Um, and then it is at that point that they, will, that they will alter a decision whether that claim is denied or approved. However, that has nothing to do with FEMA. So we encourage you that if and when we do get declared that um, residents also file with FEMA. Uh, Tiffany, can you talk, um, I guess, a little bit about um, the relationship that the water department has with the Great Lakes uh, Water Authority. I know citizens in the city of Detroit pay uh, a lot of money for GLIWA to uh, manage uh, this water system and infrastructure. Did anything go wrong there? Is there an investigation of what's happening? Um, is, is there um, any reason for us to look into GLIWA and some possible glitches and failures on their part? Well, those are the reports. Um, I'm not from Gliwa and I don't want to speculate, but I do know that the mayor and Director Gary Brown has called for an investigation. So when those results come in, I'm sure you know the public will be happy to know. So I definitely don't want to speak out of turn um, on, on Gliwa. But in 2016, um, DWSD bifurcated. And what that means is that we split. So um, the city of Detroit took over all the customers of the city of Detroit and we um, are responsible for the distribution of water. So we, we provide clean water to the customers and take away the dirty water. Gliwa, the Great Lakes Water Authority, they, they operate, they lease those assets from us. So that's why, that's how we get the $40 million a year. They lease those assets from us, but they are responsible for operating those systems. So anything about pump related, that would definitely fall under the GLIWA realm. Okay. So can I ask a question? In 2006, in 2014, that's when the, the systems bifurcated. Did the systems bifurcate before or after July of 2014? Um, well, in 2014, it wasn't, Gliwa came about in 2016, I believe. So the 2014 flood, they okay. were non-existent. Right, okay. I thought that Gliwa was established then, but okay. All right. I, I thought that that happened during the bankruptcy and emergency management, that there was a decision to create GLIWA. Is it that GLIWA was operational until 2016? I would have to, honestly, I would have to verify that. I know that, you know, in our history, we say it bifurcated in 2016, but you're absolutely right. Some kind of formation or some kind of, you know, um, prior work had to be done. So, um, you probably have those dates. That was before my time at DWSD. Okay, so let's talk about 2016 for a minute. Was it before or after the sewer backups in 2016? When the, the leaks were said to have 2016. Yep, I believe it. I believe it was after. Okay, so this is the first rain event that Gliwa has been responsible for. Um, the pumps and the pumping station. 
And in prior no. events, that was No, I still believe 2016, you. I believe 2016, we were bifurcated by then. By that rain event, I believe we were bifurcated. Yeah. Because as I recall, that rain event, we also had pumping station issues, very specifically pumping station issues at the Connor Creek pumping station. And at the time, you know, we were told that um, the, I, I, there were rumors out there that there were not proper personnel in place. And then, you know, that they had to fix some of the pumps because the pumps had broken down. And so I think there's a frustration for many Detroiters that this issue is still continuing. And we heard that Sue McCormick actually was quoted saying things like, um, the, she had no belief that if the pumps were working, the flooding would not have happened, that she did not know that the pumps contributed to the, the failure of the pumps contributed to um, the flooding in the community. So then the question is, do we need different infrastructure? If that's, if the pumps don't help, what will? Because I get it. We had a 500 year rain, the second time in seven years, but we've known that these rains are going to come. This is not the last one. We can predict that in the next seven years, we'll have at least one more unless, you know, climate change somehow um, stops. So I guess the question for many of us is, you know, at what point do we get prepared and stop making excuses and saying it's the act and act of God, which is, I believe, what Gliwa is now saying, at what point do we say um, either our old infrastructure is insufficient, therefore we new, need new infrastructure or, I, I, you know, Yep, I totally agree with those um, with those concerns, and I know our director um, Gary Brown and Deputy Director Plenty and Mobley have mentioned that we do have old infrastructure. We have some sewer systems that are 80, you know, 90 years old. So there is no doubt that the infrastructure needs to be uh, upgraded. Um, just. Um, last week or this week, the week seemed to run together. Um, the water department and the city of Detroit met with EPA administrator, Michael Regan, and it was for that very issue to see if we can get funding and some you know, help in upgrading that infrastructure. So I know it's on the top of minds from my executive team, um, but it is a process. And I know, um, you know we need to start doing and stop, you know, um, talking about it, but actually doing something about it. And I think the visit with the EPA will be that first step in helping us achieve um, some of the goals that we have. So then is, is, this, is this included in the infrastructure bill, um, the in infrastructure priorities? Are we planning to completely overhaul these things or are there other competing infrastructure priorities that will take some of the focus away from water? That I do not know. I don't know the, the, the answer and I do not want to be quoted on that. <laughs> no, I, I, and I also appreciate uh, you letting folks know that the city is at least having conversations with the Environmental Protection Agency um, about infrastructure because what makes sense is, and what we know is that these 500 year rain events are happening every other day as of late. <laughs> Um, and that this is going to continue. And it makes sense to spend money on infrastructure rather than trying to spend or spending so much money on recovery and trying to request uh, federal assistance every time something like this happens. It just makes better financial sense, right? Absolutely. All right, Tiffany Jones, Public Affairs at uh, the Detroit Water and Sewage Department. We know you gotta go. We thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for thank, having me. I also want to thank you for joining us at our Neighborhood um, Improvement Committee meeting earlier today um, for the Lower East Side Action Plan. I was unable to attend that meeting, but um, I think that we do appreciate the fact that you came out um, and that you are now going out to meet with another resident group to um, spread the word so that people at least have an opportunity to share their concerns with you, ask you questions, and hopefully you're able to take some of our recommendations back to whoever is in the decision-making seat. Um, and maybe at ECN, we'll have an opportunity to sit down with some of those folks because we have a real focus on climate equity and this is a climate equity issue. And so we hope to be able to partner with you around some of these concerns on um, the DWSD moving forward to make sure that we are being responsive to the needs and aware of when our, everything is dried up and cleaned up and the mold is removed, if we can make all of that happen, the trauma remains the loss remains. And so 
um, let's try to figure out how to work together to ensure that we can um, prevent this from happening again in the next few years. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure to have you as a partner. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Tiffany. Savannah Brewer serves as the Director of Community Organizing and Planning at Eastside Community Network. And she has been hard at work, at least for the last three weeks, trying to provide assistance and recourse for residents who uh, are experiencing the disparate effects of this flood event. Savannah, welcome back to Authentically Detroit. If I could, I just, if I had the um, standing ovation music or applause, if I had that technology <laughs> right now, I'd be giving that to Savannah because it's not for the past few weeks. Savannah's team has worked so hard on so many events. We had Show Me the Money. Prior to that, we had Juneteenth. It was a wonderful activity. Before that, we had all of our candidate forums. And then just when Savannah thought, oh, I can breathe again, we had a great big flood. Um, the week, was that the day of Show Me the Money, the 26th? Yes, the 26th was the actual day of Show Me the Money. We actually had um, vendors and guest speakers who were saying, oh my goodness, I'm experiencing flooding. I don't know if I'll be able to join. Um, and we had residents that we know for sure um, had experienced that flooding. And Savannah, is it also accurate to say that some members of your team experience severe flooding because we have people who live right in the area. Oh, it was not just those people mm -hmm. who were trying to help. It was us. Yes, most definitely it was in-house. Um, we have folks on our staff, folks that serve on our um, LEAP Neighborhood Improvement Committee or our Good Stock Detroit Committee um, that have experienced flooding. Um, and that are still in need of assistance, that are experiencing that trauma, um, that have experienced flooding in 2014. We actually had uh, one resident who came in and said, my basement has flooded every single year since 2014 and burst out into tears. And, uh, you know, that um, sense of hopelessness that you spoke about is real. Um, residents, um, Detroiters are really going through it um, as it relates to water and the lack of proper infrastructure within the city. Mm -hmm. Well, can you talk about it? You guys have been working. Can you describe for our listeners what um, ECN has been doing under your direct leadership to address some of these community needs? Yes. Yeah, so to date, we have... Um, in person worked with 114 residents. And there are so many more that we have reached through um, community outreach calls and through just returning phone calls that we're receiving to our resident resource hotline. We are working uh, five days a week to assist residents with completing the DWSD damage claim form as well as the state emergency relief form, which is a once in a lifetime up to $1,500 um, benefit, but it is optional and available for residents if they choose. Our services um, are, uh oh, go ahead. Residents or residents within a certain income band. The state yes, yes. For the state emergency relief, you do have to meet the eligibility requirements. But we are working with all residents um, to know where they stand. Um, if you just come in, um, our staff has been 100% supportive of all of the residents that are coming in for services. We are um, located at 4401 Connor, right across from the Capuchin Soup Kitchen between Warren and Mac Avenue, if you don't know. Um, you can walk in, no appointment needed between nine to five on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And on Thursdays, if, um, if you're unable to come between nine and five, we'll be able to service you between 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. When folks are come in, they'll be greeted by one of our staff and then they'll head right to our registration table to get their information registered. And they'll also um, be given a temperature check as well as a flood intake assessment. Everyone that enters the building for flood assistance, uh, we need to get them registered and then um, completing the intake assessment. This will help us assess what resident needs are and also help us as an organization um, understand how we need 
need to best service residents. Savannah, can you talk um, a little bit about, I know residents have been hit hard, but I've been hearing from some business owners and even executive directors and pastors of nonprofit organizations and churches. Um, are, are those groups coming to, for help as well? Yes, we've actually had some landlords come in. And what we have done is uh, get them connected to Ian McCain, who is our senior business and engagement manager. Um, and they work specifically with small businesses and landlords to provide resources and support that they may need. Awesome. Is there any, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Donna. I also say that we are working on creating a fund. There's a fund that is being developed um, so for small business owners, we have limited resources, but if you're on Mac between the street counter and Ross, we might have a little something for you. We're working on piecing together funds for that. Awesome. Can you talk about, uh, just some of the material need that, uh, you're finding out that residents need, uh, that residents need right now and is ECN helping to meet some of that material need? Mm -hmm. So for sure, one thing that I'll say is um, cash assistance um, is definitely needed as some folks have lost um, not just their major appliances, you know, furnaces, hot water tanks, air conditioners, washers and dryers, deep freezers, um, but they've lost food, they've lost clothing. Um, some who had, um, you know, finished basements or even not finished basements, they've lost furniture. Um, so there's definitely a need. If anyone um, can donate or volunteer, we are definitely seeking donations and, and um, volunteering of, um, of whatever you can do. Please, you can call our ECN hotline at 313-364-9423. Uh, Again, it's 313-364-9423. Um, we are in need of volunteers just as much as residents are in need of support and, and the donations. So if I could, I just want to read a few survey results because I think that um, one of the things we did was we administered a survey to really find out um, who, who actually was here. And so 36% um, of those people who came had um, incomes of less than $15,000 and 35% between 15 and 30, 16% yes. between 50 and 75 and none had uh, made more than $75,000 a year. 89% um, live in single family homes. And of the residents who came here, 73% have lived in their homes for more than 10 years. We're talking about long-standing residents. 68% own their homes outright. They have water, their water and utilities are working. Um, when we talk about the issues, I don't know if the city looks at um, cardiovascular issues, um, diabetes and high blood pressure as a disability, but 78% um, have those conditions. And we know that those conditions also make people vulnerable to COVID-19 or did when um, at one point, I don't know if there's still a greater vulnerability for um, getting sick and dying, but at one point we know that was a serious issue and 51% have chronic respiratory issues. 46% are seniors. Um, and then, you know, we have other issues like mobility, organ transplant and mental health issues. 92% um, are not at risk of foreclosures and that may mean that they don't really qualify. I don't know what that means. But um, because I, I think many of them would qualify for HPTAP, but not all of them based on the incomes that we've seen, but their housing is not at risk. 67% don't have homeowner's insurance um, and 82% don't have flood insurance. So um, of the- Can I just key in on this point too. I think the, 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 the missing flood insurance is symptomatic of something that people all over the city are experiencing, right? Especially if you don't live directly on the floodplain and in neighborhoods were flooding that had never flooded 
um, before. And so I think what we are experiencing in the city of Detroit is compounded trauma of number one, the flood, of number two, trying to garner the resources and the will to clean it up and make sure your basement isn't molded isn't molding, but the compounded trauma of hearing your insurance company, if you have one, say, no, you're not covered. Well, and it, it, keep in mind that when um, the majority of residents have incomes below um, $29,000, flood insurance is a luxury they can't afford. I mean, homeowner's insurance is really expensive in Detroit, period. And when you add flood insurance as a rider, that just costs a lot of money. If you live on a floodplain, it's really hard to get flood insurance outside of FEMA and FEMA requires people to pay all of their um, all of their costs in January, right after Christmas. So you know, Christmas or flood insurance, people have to make those choices. Not that people are spending thousands of dollars on Christmas in all instances, but when you look at it, there's just not a lot of um, great opportunity. I just want to also say that the biggest thing that people don't have working is washers and dryers. Forty-three percent don't have working furnaces. And 48% um, have broken water heaters, but washers and dryers, um, there's um, a significant um, number, like 80%, um, 70%, about 70% don't have working washers and dryers. So people need help. Um, Savannah spoke about some of that. I wanna thank the staff for you know, documenting this in the survey. What it speaks to is the fact that we have a lot of low-income homeowners in our community who've been here for a while. And I think they have every right to stay here. And I just want to once again um, say, because I just feel like saying it again, that's especially egregious that you have city council people like Scott Benson saying maybe people should not be in their homes and maybe the city should not assume financial responsibility. When we're talking about longstanding people who've invested in their communities. And you know, if they're not at risk of foreclosure, that means that they're doing the right thing. They're paying their taxes, they're taking care of their homes, they have utilities and yet their homes are flooding, so. It's just it's just an asinine statement to just double down on that when at one point black folks especially were relegated to certain neighborhoods in the city of Detroit and can only buy in certain neighborhoods like a Jefferson Chalmers where my great grandparents bought uh, their home right and so this this exclusion that relegated us to certain neighborhoods more vulnerable for things like this to happen and we made it a place and we made it home and we cemented wealth there to say pick up and move it's just egregious and asinine and for the mayor of the city of Detroit today to talk to talk on stage at the Detroit Policy Conference saying, you know, our problems in the city of Detroit have become more suburban. We have to worry about drag racing, education, and another priority that he named, but it was not remedying this flood event and making sure that residents were okay at, at the top of his speech, or I don't know if it came up at all in his speech. That, that says something um, about uh, the indifference that people feel from government that Tania Green was talking about a couple of weeks ago, that Myrtle Thompson and Catherine Douglas were talking about um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Savannah, I want to punt to you and ask you about you and your team and other teams on the ECN staff uh, about your, um, your, your space uh, the space that you're taking up in advocacy, right, um, in advocating uh, for resources and advocating for climate equity. What, is, what does that work look like and what is that strategy looking like um, while we're trying to recover? Mm -hmm. It's very busy um, and, and interesting and um, whole heavy as well. So um, Donna mentioned earlier um, that DWSD and Tiffany Jones is, um, you know, attended our LEAP Neighborhood Improvement Committee meeting today, which she's a actual committee member. She's there uh, pretty much every month. Um, today really showcased that advocacy um, and not just our staff, but residents who serve on these committees as well were able to get on and ask questions that staff maybe hadn't even considered or, you know, um, thought about, um, and really just advocating, right? Um, DWSD, they have the damage claim form, but we have seen um, three different forms now, and, and a new one just rolled out, right? So there's questions contributed to that. Um, what happens to folks that have already completed those forms, and then now there's a new form? You know, what do they need to do? Um, we learned today that some um, folks, once they submit that online claim, then DWSD will uh, mail 
through postal mail, a letter to them. And that form needs to be filled out. And so the advocacy looks like um, really having these conversations and number one, being aware of what our residents need, not just our residents within our target area, but ECN has been servicing residents from the entire East side um, as we normally do, and especially in a time of crisis, but really um, asking those hard questions, right? And Tiffany was very clear and transparent if she did not have an answer and what she could do and what she could not do, but really opening that space. Um, we have discussed uh, hosting community conversations and listening sessions where residents can come down um, and really just talk to our community organizing and planning department, as well as our climate equity. Um, we're also launching the Studemeyer Wellness Hub and uh, Daryl Earl and uh, Ricky Ackerman, Ackerman both, um, you know, have an invested interest in this work as well. And so um, really, number one, just knowing what our residents need hearing from our residents. Um, ECN is a resident-driven organization, and we mean that to the core. Um, and so understanding what those needs are, understanding um, and having that compassion with our residents, and then being able to go to the table with policymakers um, and local government and saying, okay, here's what the issues are, and what are you going to do about it? But then also being able to have recommendations that we can take to them, which I know that we have created in all of our neighborhood planning framework before, but really saying, you know, we're, this is not a game, right? These are um, folks' livelihoods um, and really just, just understanding that the flooding event impacts quality of life um, in such a, a great magnitude. I mean, there's something to be said about ECN and other members of the LEAP Coalition um, being thought leaders when it comes to, number one, sustainability, but uh, number two, uh, land use in the city of Detroit, dating back to 2009 and its work with the University of Michigan on green-blue infrastructure and talking about this stuff before it became sexy to talk about from the 2014 flood. ECN has been a mainstay in this discourse, and it is encouraging to hear that you all are still on the front lines of not only advocacy, but you know, getting the resources to implement some of these recommendations that residents have been coming up with for now over a decade. So a couple other things. Um, one is that the Stoudemire Wellness Hub is um, named after our friend Marlo Stoudemire, is, um, a, 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 is a resiliency center as well. And so we understand that this year we're expecting really high temperatures. Today it was really humid to me and it felt warm and sticky. I didn't like being outside. And I was just reading that on days like that, even when the temperature is not extremely high, when humidity reaches a certain level. It can be very, very dangerous to people's health. I'm super excited that we got our first band today. Yay, so we're gonna be able to pick people up. If people don't have access, because how can you really serve the community when you don't have the ability to bring them here? You know, have a community center that really serves people who have the greatest needs. So I'm super excited, super excited about having done that. But the Sotomayor well, Resilience Hub is an advocacy arm of the organization. It's a way for people to come together, for us to document need, for us to make sure that everybody in our reach is able to file for whatever resources they can get and make sure that we're just providing the direct assistance. They are coming here because they need help. Some people don't have computers. Some people don't know how to document their needs. Sometimes people need somebody to just talk to and go through it. So having the people on staff, our staff have been sitting there and listening to stories and I know that that itself is traumatic to listen to story after story. I came in yesterday and had to rush to my office because Savannah said, Donna, do you have any tissue? And somebody is sitting there crying. And so I think, you know, it all starts in a very interpersonal way with that person and not with these theoretical people, but with actual people who are in our community who are helping. And I'm, I'm proud of the fact that people trust us and come to us and share personal stories and information and know that we're gonna do something with it. We are now also part of the Presby Climate, um, Climate Health um, Equity um, cohort that we're receiving funds to push some advocacy items through a policy or some to develop policy recommendations around this. And the flood 
is just one example of where we need to really weigh in. We already talked about water infrastructure as a priority, but now we've got to take it to another level and um, begin making demands because is there a flood plan for our city, for the east side? Has anybody shown us what that is? What is the climate adaptation plan for our community? When the city was investing money in green infrastructure, it was on the west side of Detroit near Rouge. And they said, well, this is the priority area. Why wasn't Jeff Chalmers a priority area? Why don't we have green infrastructure in the Riverbend area where you have so much vacancy and where our own researchers and others have pointed out you have the ability to stop some of the flow of water into the, um, into the Jeff Chalmers neighborhood. There's creeks running underground. Connor Creek was actually a creek. Fox Creek was actually a creek that we covered over. And we and need to that's the reason why these creeks that we've covered over, we wonder why is there flooding so far away from the river? The creeks, folks. There's all kinds of stuff that we need to really address. And I think, um, so I think that for us, advocacy also has to be about the policy, looking at best practice solutions, bringing in flood experts and having them inform us so that we know more about it. Who are the experts right now who can tell us how to transform our landscape to be flood proof? Right now, we have the Northeast Interceptor or something like that, bringing in stormwater and sewage, combined stormwater and sewage to the Conner Creek pumping station, which keeps failing. So on top of our local stormwater issues that we have to deal with, we've got to deal with suburban stormwater issues coming in through a pipe that goes to the Conner Creek station. And now they're talking about building yet another interceptor to bring water through here. So why aren't suburban communities treating their stormwater and sewage in the suburban communities? And why are Detroiters paying 83% of the cost for this? There's a lot of justice issues here. Um, and yes, we know that there's other suburbs that experience flooding, but you know, there's a lot of research and documentation will show it hits black communities and brown communities hardest. So if, uh... The director of the city of Detroit's sustainability office, Joe Harani Harris, who we've had on before, can uh, come on and speak to some of these issues. I appeared on the WT, the WDET uh, show Detroit Today, and Joe Harani Harris called in and began to explain some of uh, the studies and things that they are trying to implement to get at what some of Donna was saying. Joe, our friend, we would love to have you back on. He said he would have loved to come, but he is knee deep and trying to get some grant proposals, trying to get some things funded. We did ask him, he is a friend. I think he wants to do great things. What I wanna see is what his desires reflected in the budgets that the city yes. is putting together. It doesn't seem like it is. With the community. I wanna see his vision because Joe Harani Harris has a great vision. He has his roots in the community. I wanna see it reflected in the city budget, the $800 million that we're getting. Are we somehow taking his vision and making it actionable? Or are we talking about it and putting it on a shelf and saying, well, you know, there's not enough money for this. And then, you know, when new projects come to the city, when FCA comes to the city, are you gonna come in a manner that is sustainable? Are you going to increase sustainability and is the city going to leverage their investment to improve the overall environmental health of our community? Or are we going to let them degrade it because of jobs? And I can tell you from just a perspective on the outside uh, looking in that the sustainability part, the, the sustainability department in the city of Detroit seems very othered from uh, these other departments like uh, the water department, the planning department and everything. I think that the way uh, Joel Harris led a sustainability planning framework in the city of Detroit, it was the best thing I've ever said. It was the best process I ever see curated by uh, a city department. And I'm wondering where, 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 where does that come into play when we talk about implementation, when we talk about budgetary dollars, when we talk about infusing that framework within the fabric of everything that that the city is doing. And I just I just feel like it's other. And I feel like we need to challenge that. And well, yes, on proposal P, there will be an office of sustainability and environmental justice. And hopefully the office will be taxpayer funded as opposed to grant funded. And there will be people working there and we'll be able to have people in place and make that a priority of the city. Now I know the mayor and others believe that by investing in things like that will bankrupt the city. 
But there's others who might say that continuous floods will bankrupt the city eventually because people will leave. We had somebody on here last week who said, this is why I don't want to live back on the east side because of this continuous flooding. And so, you know, I think that when you start balancing things out, we have to figure out how to empower um, the Office of Climate um, or Sustainability and Environmental Justice to do the work of preparing us for climate change. Savannah, in addition to advocacy though, we're doing other things. We are, you're, you guys are working and there's some things we have done and some things we will done. Do you want to talk about the other ways that we are assisting residents through this process? Yes, thank you. Yeah, we are also um, assembling, I couldn't get my words out, uh, assembling flood kits. The kits include, um, number one, um, a flood and air quality booklet on how to properly sanitize and disinfect your home after a flood. Um, also included in this kit is a uh, mop and a pail, hand sanitizer, four pair of gloves, um, four pair of plastic gloves, um, KN95 mask, ble uh, germicidal bleach or um, non-bleach disinfectant for those who need that. Um, and then we're also um, assisting folks who cannot do the cleaning themselves with uh, a team. We have partnered and contracted with the Bailey Park Neighborhood Development uh, Corporation and their uh, clean and green team to assist residents who um, cannot um, do that cleaning themselves, whether it is uh, moving debris from their basements and getting it out to the curb, as well as appliances, um, getting those out to the curb and cleaning, so mopping, sweeping, washing walls down, um, and just really sanitizing and disinfecting. Um, those appointments started today. Um, so it is an either or residents um, can either request a flood kit to do the cleaning themselves, or um, if they need assistance, um, then they can um, definitely let us know and we'll get them scheduled with an appointment for the cleaning team. Um, and we, and I just want to point out, we're looking for more cleaning teams. So if you are interested in doing the cleaning, call Savannah, because <laughs> we are going to add, we want to do that, um, get as many people as possible engaged in cleaning. We are using a grant from the Kresge Foundation to provide those types of supports. And so we do have some resources to support paying people doing this work. Yes, definitely. Um, you can call our hotline at 313-364-9423. And for um, the, the cleaning teams, you can call the hotline or email sbrewer, B-R-E-W-E-R, -E -E at E is an Eastside, C is in community, N is in network, dash Detroit.org. Uh, we're also um, looking, Donna, for electricians and plumbers. So if you have that uh, skilled trade experience, let us know. We need you. This is your time to answer the call to action. And so we are definitely um, in need. If you don't have any of those skills, that's okay. You can still come down to our uh, walk-in resource center and you can assist us with um, conducting phone calls to community members, um, assembling the flood kits, um, monitoring the ECN resident hotline or assisting in our tech hub, or you can just uh, be a supportive person in asking residents as they come in, how are you doing today? Are you okay? Do you need a bottle of water or a sandwich? How can we help you? And just uh, beginning to understand those resident um, stories because everyone has a story to tell. And most definitely with this flood, um, there is uh, trauma that is there. There is that sense of hopelessness that we talked about. Um, and there is some fear as well. And so already in a pandemic, um, already uh, social isolation was real. And, um, you know, as we have our Juneteenth event that you spoke about earlier, as we focus on air quality, folks have mold in their basements right now. And what is that doing for the air quality? Um, you gave the stats earlier, Donna, for our respiratory issues, right? This is real. And so if you all can lend a hand, whether you come down and volunteer for one hour or 30 minutes, whatever you can contribute to the community, we will definitely receive you. Mm 
Thank you. Um, and I think we also have um, some funds we're going to be administering to um, for appliances. Yes, um, those washers and dryers are definitely a need. I know that some folks have already um, been able to donate uh, items like a refrigerator. If you have these items, maybe they're just sitting aside and you've been saying, oh, that's my backup. If you can donate it, please let us know because there are residents out there right now that are going without that are definitely in need. Yeah. Wow. So we are raising funds right now. And you can go to our website at ecn-detroit.org and go to the donate button. All of the funds that we are receiving right now, 100% of the funds we get in donations will go directly to the people we serve. We have, all of this is about flood assistance so that we can get as many dollars as we can. Um, we believe that, you know, where you stand in the time of emergency really sp speaks to where you stand with the community, are we with you or against you? So we really stopped doing many other things and said, let's stop and figure out how to provide flood assistance for now. And everything else that we're trying to do will still be there, but we've got to really make this our priority. Um, it is devastating to drive down blocks. You know, when I did um, the week, the day after the floods, I was riding my bike through the neighborhood and every single house on blocks had, you know, garbage out in front of it or not, you know, debris had, you know, bulk was stuffed out in front for bulk pickup. Almost every house had it because almost every house was dramatically impacted by the flood in um, the Jeff Chalmers neighborhood. And it's not alone. I know that um, Chandler Park neighborhood had similar issues. I know that Morningside and East English Village has similar issues and Cornerstone actually had more than one flood. One of our friends from Cornerstone had a flood last week in addition, she just had cleaned out and dried out her home, and then it flooded again. Yeah, Savannah, I really want to uh, commend you and your team for the service that you're providing. Um, hearing you talk about the experience that residents will get when they walk through the doors at Eastside Community Network is important to note because often more times than not, uh, poor people are relegated to really horrible service and treatment uh, from folks who are supposed to be in the positions to help them out and to connect them to resources. So recognizing the humanity first and asking, how are you, goes a long way toward healing um, the, the brokenness and the despondentness and hopelessness that so many people are feeling right now. So thank you for starting there, Savannah Brewer. <laughs> oh, no problem. And if I could just add, I know um, when Tiffany was on, she spoke about um, that residents who are um, eligible and have qualified for that homeowner's property tax assistance program. If you don't know if you qualify for a property tax exemption or if you know and you just don't know what to do or where to go for help, you can come right to ECN again at 4401 Connor. We help uh, residents complete the property tax assistance application. We're doing that right along um, with the flood assistance as well. So you can come for flood assistance. You can also come for assistance um, to complete the application for the homeowner's property tax exemption as well. And there are also services um, that you could be eligible for if you have delinquent taxes as well. So please, please come. And if I can share, um, just as we talk back to the trauma um, and the wellness of our community. We also want to um, let everyone know that tomorrow is Wellness Wednesday. We have community yoga at 4 p.m. And then we'll also be following up um, community yoga with a brand new piece of work that ECN is doing, which is overdose prevention and harm reduction. We are going to be taking a look at how we can help the community um, overcome and reduce harms related to substance use and really stopping the stigma. That's gonna be at 5.30. Both of these events will be um, virtual. They'll be on Zoom, but you can also check us out and tap in with us at Eastside Community Network's Facebook page. Again, Community Yoga is at 4 p.m. And our overdose prevention harm reduction, our first community conversation, we are just open opening up the floor to talk about the impacts 
of drug epidemics in our community, right? And you know, there are some strong conversations going all the way back to the crack epi epidemic in our neighborhoods, in our communities. And so um, we want to just stop the stigma. Uh, both of these uh, events are um, family friendly and um, all ages are, are welcome um, for both of those. All right. Well, thank you once again so much, Savannah, for coming on and sharing all of the great work that you all are doing to help improve the overall quality of life of people on the east side. It doesn't go unnoticed, and we appreciate everything that you do for our family, right? Because these folks are our family, right? Thank you, Savannah. Thank you all so much for having me. Uh, as a lover of the community, it's always a pleasure. All right, if you have topics that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Authentically Detroit, or you can email us at AuthenticallyDetroit at gmail.com. Donna, you have any shout outs this week? Um, you know what? <laughs> I'll go first. Oh, yeah, please. I want to shout out uh, all of our partners, uh, the Urban Consulate partners in Cincinnati. Uh, over the weekend, I had the opportunity to uh, walk through, walk the streets of Cincinnati and learn about uh, Black places and spaces there and um, curate a talk and participate in a talk. Last night um, at the Five Points Alley that is managed by a Black brother and sister duo team who started an organization, Cincy Nice, that wants to tell amazing stories and narrative from the Black perspective in Cincinnati, while so many Black places um, and spaces are being encroached upon um, with the, you know, with the hands of gentrification and development. So it was a really palpable moment in talk. And I want to shout out Cincy Nice, all of the folks who were on that panel with me, um, Destiny Thomas and Catherine um, and Free and Lauren Hood and Chase Cantrell. So shout out to our partners and friends um, in uh, Cincy. Naima Bilal as well. Donna, shout out. Yeah, I do want to shout out our youth um, team for uh, our first week of our second week of youth employment, our first week of summer enrichment. And I want to shout out our um, some of our partners. Um, and I don't remember all of who they are. Um, I know that it's Eden Gardens and, um, um, oh my goodness, I can't think of all the partners that we have this summer. Hold on for one minute and I'll tell you who they are um, for launching a really, um, novel program. We're all working together, serving young people between the ages of five and 18 in various programs. Um, and I think we're doing a great job with it. Um, it's, it's hard work because it's um, through the city of Detroit. I mean, Detroit Public Schools Community District. And, um, and, and you know, they're, it's their first time funding organizations to work with Detroit Public School kids outside of the school district. Um, so it's um, it's a work in progress. They're still trying to figure out how they're going to um, pay us, and we're we're just you know excited about the work. But we are working with Sustainable Community Farms, and the Mindful Youth Gardens, Manistique Treehouse, Full and Fabulous Detroit, Eden Garden Block Club, and the Bailey Park Neighborhood Development Corporation in providing program and services to young people in our community. Um, so it's for some young people it's the first time they've been in a congregate setting since the pandemic began for others, you know, they're just getting back out there after they have been, you know, um, locked back up for a couple of months after the um, pandemic got a lot worse, but they are coming and I'm so proud of our staff led by team led by Tanya Aho, um, and, and the work that they're doing with the young people. Yeah, and shout out to some of the ECN youth who are on uh, the Youth Advisory Council um, curating a podcast that I was able to go and speak to our experience about Authentically Detroit uh, last week uh, with Tanya leading that group along with the, our, their partners at the Community Development Advocates of Detroit. And one thing about um, some youth program, I do want to um, shout out our partner in that is One Detroit Credit Union paying young people is no joke. Um, you know, um, when I used to work and used to pay young people through the city of Detroit, we gave them these um, these um, credit cards or debit cards and we paid them to their debit cards. And the problem was that they had to wait for their debit cards to arrive from someplace far away. And um, they didn't have bank accounts. And if the debit card got lost in the mail or whatever, then some of them had to wait three or four weeks to get paid. 
And a couple of years ago, we reached out to one Detroit Credit Union and they created a youth account just for our young people where they don't need parental signatures and they can actually own a bank account with a debit card attached to it. So that um, it helps them with financial literacy and also um, just helps them make sure, helps, helps us make sure they get paid on time every year. Um, shout out to our payroll staff who have increased the number of employees, um, kind of doubled the number of employees through the summer youth um, process. And um, I think since I've been here, we've never had a single error in paying a young person. They get paid on time every week. And that's so important when um, they're starting off jobs because we should all expect to be paid on time every week, regardless of whether or not it's a summer youth program or anything else. We'd love to hear it. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Authentically Detroit. We want you to catch the wave. Thank you. All right, <laughs> you got to stop the recording. We got to take a photo if you didn't do it already. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. How do I do this? <laughs>